0: All episodes of It's Great Business reflect the views and opinions of Intracoastal Marketing and Strategy Group and its guests, and do not reflect the official policy or guidance of employers or government entities.
1: You're listening to It's Great Business, sponsored by Intracoastal Marketing and Strategy Group, where great business equals great people.
2: Welcome to the best of It's Great Business. I'm Janice Berg Levy.
0: And I'm Pete McCormick
2: as 2022 rapidly comes to a close. We thought that it would be fun to provide you with some highlights from the podcast series, looking back on our second year of podcasting, we heard from many of our listeners that the stories have been inspiring from the amazing guests, coupled with great career advice. We've only just begun our journey together.
0: This year, we've hosted so many talented professionals who have shared their stories. From Andy Zimmerman, a true trailblazer and best-selling author who shared his journey into the Web3 universe, to Ephraim Cohen, technology and content executive who rose through the ranks to become one of the top leaders at Fleischman Hillard, to Aaron Essenmacher, award-winning C-suite executive and filmmaker with credits at Sony, Discovery Channel, and Apple. To Jay Mossman, a gifted entrepreneur who credits his success to his early years as a Boy Scout.
2: To Sue Keith, a woman who calls herself a recovering CPA, who made the leap from accounting into marketing, later becoming an owner of a top Washington DC talent placement firm. And then of course, Jeff Goldwasser, the king of motor coaches and creator of Buses and Beer, If you've ever wondered where a career in sales can take you, this episode will surely make you smile.
0: Whether you listen in totality or just pick an episode, we know that you will find a story that is meaningful and useful to you. So sit back and relax as we reflect upon 2022. We hope you enjoy.
2: So Andy, what are maybe one or two things that you've learned about business success and great people that might help some of our listeners?
3: I guess I, I, I've learned a few things. One is when I found, uh, and, and this is a somewhat personal, so I, I don't know that, that my, what I've learned is, is what everyone should learn. One thing I've learned is trust your gut instincts. And I, I rarely have made a decision too quickly. I have made decisions. I have taken too long to make decisions, okay? So my mistakes in my business career have been much more not making a decision quickly enough, not following my gut feel um, not the idea of shooting from the hip and making a decision too early. So that's just something I fight with all the time. I don't know if it's because I'm conservative or I'm adverse, uh, risk adverse, but I just, I, I constantly look back and say, see, Andy, you're doing it again. I think the second thing is uh, I'm a CPA, I'm an accountant by training. And I think numbers are important, but numbers are very ephemeral. I can't, rec- I mean, every quarter, you know, I'm getting down to the end of the quarter, whatever company I'm part of. And, you know, it's just the anxiety in that last week and everything and what you go through. But what's funny to me is I can never, I cannot remember one quarter in my life in retrospect. They just disappear and now you're into another quarter. And so that just says to me that, you know, numbers are important, but we it's, it, it can also be a huge distraction when you're thinking about building something and then I think the idea of what you're really doing, even in your business career, is you're building friendships. And so, you know, that's what you take away from you, from, from any company you work with is your friends, that those memories, and they go forward with you. So just, you know, realize that, you know, business is a bit of a game, but but the reality is coming out of it, you, ha- you meet and develop friendships that, you know, yes. last your yeah. life
2: people can't see my face or yours, but we're smiling because it is so true. The things that you think in your day-to-day business life that you're stressing over, um, whether it's the politics or whatever it is that's going on within there, it's just you forget. And what you remember is a feeling, a feeling of interaction with certain people, um, the friendships that you form because you're Working with these people every day, so just remember that. And you know, they used to say to us, "You know, smell the roses and all that." But but it's 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 more than that, right? It is about the people, and that's what makes the environment rich. And uh, someone was just posting some memories they had from my prior employer on a project that we used to have something called M10, and they were reminiscing about it. It's probably at this point, probably more than five years ago. And someone was wearing the t-shirt and posted something and and said oh my gosh remember how fun it was that you know we all worked together now i remember them struggling through it because it was a pretty significant project and uh and i said remember the friends but also remember on the way up because many of them have been have been extremely successful since then and moved on and doing other great things always remember the others and always help them on the way up because that is Probably one of the most rewarding things I can personally share is putting a hand out and remembering the feeling of of helping somebody who now calls me and says, do you remember when you did that? Well, guess what? That helped me figure out this, this, and this. And guess what I'm doing now? It's amazing, right?
3: Yeah. And it's also, um, uh, that's something I didn't mention, which I probably should have, is the importance of mentoring, um, both receiving and in giving and playing it forward. And I went to a high school reunion a few weeks ago and we were asked to write a little memory of, of the school. And, and I wasn't sure what to write. I mean, it's been so long ago. But then I remembered my guidance counselor in, in my high school absolutely changed the trajectory of my life um, in terms of talking about what kind of school I could aspire to, what, kind of, what I could aspire to in life. And then I've had, then when I start thinking about it, of course, there's a set of people who have had an incredible impact on my life as mentors. And, you know, what I've learned from that is, or what I, I, I'm uh, committed to as a result of what's been given to me by my mentors is, is the desire to be a mentor to other people. And with nothing, expecting nothing in return in the same way that my mentors didn't expect anything in return. Um,
2: it's it's really a beautiful thing and for me I'm the daughter of teachers so yeah you, know, you can't you know that that just was part of the early you know raising of of giving just just always giving so you know as people are listening they love to hear kind of the tips like one to two things that you've learned about business success great people kind of some takeaways that uh, people can uh, keep in mind as they're on their own journeys.
4: All right, but I'm going to give you four or five, if that's okay. Uh, absolutely, you know, we're getting question, right, it's we're just, getting
2: we're getting our pencils out.
4: Let's go. All right, because it. it's it just depends on the situation. I'd say the first again, you know, I'll start back with our experience working together back at Accenture. One of the things I really learned from the company itself was it was very focused on finding good people, and I don't mean just good people, smart, talented people, people mm-hmm. you actually like working with. Mm. good people and being very clear on objectives you know we all talk about virtual work now we hardly ever saw each other yeah uh, working a country they were doing it way before it was cool or there was a pandemic or anything like that it was simply a matter of being good knowing your goals knowing your role. you know as part of a team staying focused on it and being professional and responsible right um and as as long as you really stuck to that no, you didn't need to be in an office every day or nine to five or at meetings. And mm-hmm. I know, you know some people feel that way and I understand why there are different styles of work, but that that's a huge, so I'd say the first one is really understanding the importance of just good people and being yes. a professional, a responsible professional. It sounds a little redundant, probably is, um, working with good people. The second is, it sounds like a, a Stephen Covey line because it is, um, but it he just ripped it off from other people. You know, that that really has one of the seven lessons of seek first to understand that if you really spend when you're working with other people, whether it's their motivation or a client's or your company's, what's the real objective? So two examples uh, in professional services, very often the real objective is not really or the motivating objective is not your client's business objective. It's their own professional objective. You help them be more successful professionally. Mm -hmm. They're just going to want to work more with you. Mm-hmm. Um, then you also, of course, need to understand the the business objective, but understanding like those real motivators and those real goals and digging deep, what's behind. Oftentimes, it helps you kind of sift through the noise and get to the real heart of the matter and focus your energy in a better way. Uh, another, I, I like to steal advice from others. Um, so I'd say actually another tip is steal advice from others, use it, like learn from others. Don't yes. stop. We talked before the recording started about. Uh, the book by the CEO of uh, Best Buy. And that's what I'm going to read because that was an incredible turnaround, you know, to take a company that felt demotivated, that had no place in the future and motivate employees and customers to want to shop there. You know, always, always look for that advice. But another retailer I think is good to borrow from is my favorite is Jeff Bezos. And Mm -hmm. he writes about his day one philosophy and I'll let others go and read his former, now former annual letters as CEO. But in one of them where he talks about the day one philosophy where, you know, it's always day one, we're just starting out. But within that, he talks about, this is a, not an exact quote, but that the customer is always wonderfully dissatisfied. Yeah. Which I thought was a kind of a fun way of doing what, you know, Henry T. Ford used to say, you know, if I asked the customer what they wanted, they'd ask for a faster horse. Customers don't always know what they want, but if you can <laughs> figure out their real motivation, assume there's something better for them. Right. So whether it's a customer or a business partner or your own job, assume there's a better way of doing things. Mm-hmm. Um, don't just look at what you're doing today and figure out an incremental improvement. What's the real objective and the better way of getting there? And sometimes you can just totally, sometimes it may be a great incremental improvement that you can do in day in and day out, um, such as slightly faster shipping at Amazon. People were thrilled with two day, and they said, well, but they may be more thrilled with one day. And sometimes it's completely changing how they operate at home with the Echo, um, where people just thought it was a little music device at first. Right. But it was all from that focus of there's a better way the customer you know, customer may not know it yet. Um, and then finally, and this goes to good people as well, you know, when it comes to who you work for or who you work with, getting away, and this is to the point about people focused on their long-term career path and what they want to do and labels and titles and things like that. Mm -hmm. Nothing, nothing, nothing beats working with a really good person who is incredibly smart and motivated and always looking to do better. Always, always, always. And they just, they make showing up to work every day fun, rewarding. They will help you do better. And you will then figure out how you can put a dent in the world, Mm -hmm. whether it's one that is social good or business good or personal good. And you're going to do it and you're going to have fun doing it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, those are fantastic tips. Absolutely. And I I think I would just put a a full, you know, kind of exclamation point over them and also say there's something in what you said earlier that kind of ties to this, which is kind of be a sponge is the way I put it, but learn everything because you never know when you're going to need it. And Mm -hmm. I'll never forget. I had a person more recently who worked for me in my, on my prior employer who basically, I asked this individual to do something, to do a project. And this individual said, oh, no, no. I don't think that's something I should do. It's not gonna help my resume. And it, it was rare that I had, I had heard anything like this and I really wasn't sure how to respond. So I would say, don't do that, right? In the tips of do, this is a don't do, be a sponge. And all those things that you lined up all make sense in terms of, you know, again, borrow other people's ideas, all of these pieces, this is what really will help you find a fulfilling both professional and personal life, I I think. So thank you for sharing those. So Erin, tell me one or two things that you've learned about business success great people, just kind of a couple of takeaways for our listeners.
5: I think at the the heart of both success and great leadership is this idea of curiosity, right? Is, can you just get curious about people, (laughs) about uh, potential solutions, about just how you're looking at the world? Because I think when you approach problems, situations, and people from a place of curiosity and wanting to learn, that idea of a learner's mindset it opens up a whole host of possibilities. I think that the further we get in our careers, we there can be a tendency to feel like we either already know it all or we're expected to already know it all, right? And that authority means having all the answers. And what I've learned both personally through trial and error and observing other folks who I would consider to be great leaders is the best leaders are really great listeners. They come to the table curious about what other folks can teach them. And then they can synthesize that through a lens of all the great experience and insight that they have and help a group come to the right decision in terms of how to move forward. So I think that idea of of curiosity is important, but it does link to this other idea, which is this concept of courage, right? We talk about this a lot in boardrooms, right? Having the courage to speak up, having the courage to you know, voice the unpopular opinion instead of going with the flow. And I think that's true across the board in life when I think about what what makes people successful. and again, what I've seen in terms of great leadership is, you know you have the courage to come to the table, a open and 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 ready to listen. And I think that actually does does take courage. It sounds odd. We think of courage as as loud and, you know, you're taking bold action. And I think a lot of times courage is just being willing to be vulnerable. And I think, you know, that idea of listening and getting curious is is really tied to that idea of vulnerability. Brene Brown talks about that a lot. But I think this idea of, you know, the courage of understanding and, you know, knowing what your value system is and bringing that to the table and not being afraid to speak up when you have a different opinion, when you see that things could could um, be a different way. I think that there is not enough of that in business. I think, again, people are so afraid sometimes that if they voice an unpopular opinion or they, you know, suggest maybe a crazy idea that it might fail or they might be looked at, you know, kind of askance. But I think that the, the need to just stay comfortable is actually what gets us into trouble, both in our lives and business. And so that courage to really speak up, have the courage of your convictions, to know what your value system is
2: and to bring that to the table, I think is also critically important. Fabulous. I think that um, the other thing that I would add is the courage, especially as a woman, because having grown up in in the times where I did as a female, I always heard, well, make sure that your voice is heard at at the table but sometimes you're listening you're you know absorbing and just because you didn't say something at that exact moment because they're all battling for whose voice is going to be heard the loudest doesn't necessarily mean that you're you're weak so part of that courage is finding out that balance of when do you voice that opinion maybe perhaps based on this conversation It's after listening, absorbing and really hearing everybody's side, not feeling like you just have to say something so that they know you're there. So I think there's this really being more conscious about it. So I I concur with much of what you said. I mean, the courage part of it is super difficult.
5: It is It is difficult. I think that the courage also comes through, though, with the courage to really believe in yourself. And to your point, that can be especially difficult for women in a lot of cases, because there is still a lot, you know, in culture and society that sometimes can cause us to second guess, you know, our opinions or, you know, what we know to be true, the things that we're good at. So I think that courage part also is a lot about internal courage, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. I'm. I'm right there with you on that one. So when you think about the things you've learned, um, and this is really helpful, this this is something that our listeners mm-hmm. love. What are the one or two things um, that you've learned about business success that you can really share here with our listeners? What are some takeaways?
6: I guess there are there's there's a few things, and, and let me kind of go through a history here, if you will, in no particular order. There was a gentleman by the name of Pete Musser who founded Safeguard Scientifics, And Pete passed away a couple of years ago uh, having passed the age of 90. And he he probably defined it best for me. He used to say, say it and it will happen. And what he means was you have to believe in whatever you're doing. And if you believe in it and you focus on it, it's gonna happen. Now it might not happen when you think it will happen, but it'll happen. That that to me was a great saying, and, and those around me hear me say that often is, say it and it will happen. But as I look back on people that have influenced me and things that I've learned in the industry go all the way back to my first days at Mellon Bank when I was a programmer. And I was in their training program, and you end up getting assigned to an area of the bank, and you have no idea what area you're going to get assigned to. And I got assigned to the trust and investment group. And a gentleman by the name of Brian Morris came down to to visit with me. And here I am, a 21-year-old, you know, just bright eyes and the world's in front of me. And he comes down, he looks at me and he says, hi, I'm Brian Morris. You're going to work for me. The first time you screw up, I'm going to chew you out. (laughs) You talk about somebody going, like, what did I get myself into? What he taught me was being very forthright. Now, maybe he could have delivered the message a little different. But what he said, what he taught me right early on was, tell somebody the honest truth. And what he was really telling me is, listen, kid, you might think you know everything, but you don't. And you're going to learn a lot. And I'm going to have to teach you. Then I had an opportunity to work for a gentleman by the name of Ed Hyde, also at Mellon. And he taught me how to be more of a businessman. He was in technology. But he taught me how to communicate to the to the business people and bridge that gap between technology and business. And I found I had a very unique skill set there, and that's sometimes hard to find a technologist that can speak business and a business person that can speak technology. I then at Republic Bank in Dallas came across three individuals. My boss at that time, Roy a uh, rough and toughest Texan. But what he taught me was whatever you say, you better mean it, but also be very clear and specific about it. Don't leave it open to people Mm because if you leave it open, Mm -hmm. they're going to make the decision for you. Mm -hmm. So otherwise you make the decision and share that with them. Uh, There were two other people there at Republic Bank, Charlie Kite, who was the executive at one time with Texas Instruments and Jerry McElhattan, who went on to be president of, of MasterCard Services. They taught me a lot about how to communicate to executives. Uh, Charlie Kike taught me how to play what he called worst critic. He said, when you try to go into a presentation, most people try to go in and surprise people. Mm -hmm. He said, don't do that. He said, if you know you've got people that are probably going to disagree with you, go see them ahead of time Mm -hmm. and let them know exactly what you're going to be presenting and find out where their objections are. And then go into that presentation and say, listen, this is what I'm presenting. I know that so-and-so and and -and so-and-so is not in agreement. I had an opportunity to meet with them before here. You know, I appreciate their thoughts, but here's why I think we ought to do what we do. He says, what it does is it takes conflict out of that meeting. Yeah. Because they can't yeah. kind of challenge you. They can challenge you, but they're going to challenge you in, an, in, a, in a positive way as opposed to a negative way.
2: That's a be- that is actually beautiful. That's a beautiful
6: one. Yeah. And you really. taught me so much of how to deal with, with people in conflict. Jerry Mackwatton taught me how to present your ideas in, in one paragraph. Jerry basically said if you're presenting a proposal, you put everything in the first paragraph. So an executive doesn't need to read anything more than that to know. Mm-hmm. And if they want to know more, then peel back that onion, so to speak, throughout your proposal. He says, most people build proposals like they write a novel, and the good stuff is at the end. Yeah. He says, you need to do it in reverse. And Jerry used to even pick on taking words out. Don't say, I recommend. Say, recommend that we purchase the following system for $1.5 million, which will give us an X percent return, and we will start it on this date and deliver on this date with these risks, period. Mm-hmm. He said, now you told me everything you wanted to tell me. Right. If I wanna know more, I'll read more. Maybe that's just enough for me to either approve it or not. There was a gentleman by the name of Dick White, who was my who was the chairman of the trust company and my boss after I left technology and went over to the business side. And Dick was a wanderer. He was one of those executives that you'd see wandering around all the time. And I'd seen him wandering around in my area and, you know, <laughs> I was very young. I was 26 years old when I was, when Dick hired me to leave technology and move over to the business and run operations for the trust company. And I didn't like the fact that my boss was in the middle of that. And I was kind of like paranoid. What's he learning? What's he? So I, I talked to him about it. And he said to me the following, which I thought was very interesting. He said, listen, I'm not there to find out what you're doing wrong. I'm there to find out what's happening and I might hear things or, or people might share things with me that they might not share with you. And therefore, I have an opportunity to share them back with you. And together, we can make sure that the place is running well. Nice. So he taught me a lot about don't be paranoid. And he was, a, he was the guy that took me from technology. And if you think about it, I was 26 years old. And I was a technology person. And he wants me to come in and run operations. And I, I asked Dick, why did you choose me. And he said, besides being able to communicate, he said, it's easier to teach a technologist business than it is a business person technology. Mm -hmm. And he said, our world is changing. And this was, you know, in the early 80s, he said, the world is changing. And technology is going to play a greater role in financial services going forward. And I want to make sure I have somebody in thinking operationally, how we can leverage technology to become better.
2: That's, it's really amazing that he had that kind of foresight because, we know, even today, fin- the financial services area is absolutely ahead of many other sectors yep. as far as technology. Yeah.
6: And I would say that the next when I worked for Bank One in Columbus, Ohio, I had an opportunity to work with John B. McCoy, who was the CEO of Bank One. They were a very acquisition oriented bank at the time. And they like to run things independently. And John taught me the ability to measure performance. And what Bank One did is they had an, they measured every one of their banks with all kinds of products, those that could generate the most credit cards, or the best deposits, or the least delinquencies, or whatever. And he measured so much of it for each bank. And what John used to say is that he would then call each president of the bank once a month and ask on their three worst performing things, what do they do to talk to the three presidents in that same category that we're doing it right? And his point was, is that if I measure enough, it's impossible for you to be best at everything. So when you call somebody, chances are I'm best at credit card, maybe you're best at something else. And we're sharing and and naturally we're sharing. So he set it up a way, yes, you compete, but you share. And then John always had that tagline, as he said, if he didn't, if when I called, they said they had, if they told me that they had not yet talked to the other three, I invited them to Columbus for career counseling.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and it's, you- you, you, that's a, you brought up a couple of really great points. One is obviously the one you just described, which is around collaboration, which we mm-hmm. hear that word now, right? In, right? in all types of businesses, but that's essentially what it is. Even though you might be competing with each other on one level, there's this this whole piece of collaborating that is so important mm-hmm. because that's where success really comes in. And I think going back, just talking about all these wonderful people that you worked with and for, this whole piece of mentoring the importance mm-hmm. of coaching and mentoring right. and and giving back so we all know that you know most of us could not have been successful with those people that helped us and so that's what we're doing right now even with and, this program
6: and i would say if you talk to people that i work with every single day i they they probably heard some of these stories and and they see the same types of things so You know, the things that I have learned, I make sure that I share with those around me. And we just get better for it.
2: Right. Beautiful. If you think about the things you've learned over the last X number of years in terms of business success, uh, great people, what are some key takeaways for our listeners?
1: I think it's really important. And I really did, uh, right before Kathy, my partner, approached me about doing this, I was having one of my many career crises in terms of what am I doing? Where am I going with this? And I literally said aloud, where's my platter? Like I was, you know, and I, but I think it's what the platters appear because of what you've done and the relationships you've built. And the fact that you've been a good, reliable employee that people can depend on and you've built really strong relationships and really importantly, and this is um, one of the things I think is a a real detriment to our current Zoom world is building relationships with people you work with outside of your immediate team, outside of marketing. You know, you bump into the CIO in the kitchen back when we were in kitchens, office kitchens, and you get to know people and you get to know other parts of the business. And that can only add something to the work you do. You know, you're, um, if I say his name right, Ephraim, did I say that correctly? Ephraim, F- F- yes. Ephraim, yes. excuse me. Yes, yes. Um, I was listening to his interview the other day, and he said something that so sums this up. He said, quote, to you, because you all work together at Accenture, we worked our asses off to get lucky. <laughs> and I think that is exactly, and I'm going to borrow that, um, I think that's exactly what I'm getting at. If you work really hard, you're a, a reliable employee, you're a, you know, a, a good teammate and you build relationships beyond your immediate team, I think the luck shows up. And in my yeah. case, you know, I call them platters, but it's, you worked, your, we worked our asses off to get lucky. I think that I, that was so spot on. You asked about great people. And I'm actually going to mention someone that you and I both coincidentally had the pleasure of working with Ken Daly. Ken uh, was the CEO of an association I consulted for for five or six years. And I had been there so long, I was fairly, you know, pretty much common law employee at that point. That's how I and, thought of you. <laughs> yes, I know. Um, and it's partially because Ken welcomed me in that way. Um, Ken was the type of leader who would make any employee within the company, regardless of title level, if you just came out of college, that you are important your voice was heard, and he would just plop down next to you and ask your opinion on something. And sometimes the something he was asking you about was actually kind of heady stuff. It wasn't, you know, hey, what'd you do this weekend? He'd say, come plop down next to me and say, what do you think about this? And I watched him do it all throughout. He was, you know, one of those kind of, you know, what's it called when you, you manage by walking, (laughs) you know, Uh um, Uh he really he, to me, he was one of the greatest leaders I've worked with because he made everyone feel like they were important, their opinion mattered, and through that, everyone wanted to do a little bit better job yes. for him and for the for the organization. Yes. And I would add
2: to it because, yeah, I mean, I have chills, because, you know, every time I talk about Ken um, because he is so special, and I wish I had known him even longer. Yeah. Um, in terms of when you know we met, etc., through KPMG in those days, but. You know, he also did it with a sense of humor. Yes, And I absolutely. think that that is another, you know, when we talk about tips or where we're going here is that it's, it's, it's just work. Um, yep. No one's yep. going to yep. die. I mean, we're not brain surgeons here. Okay. Right. So right. keeping the sense of humor, keeping it light, putting some joy into what you're doing. Cause we spend a lot of time working. Yeah. And I Absolutely. think that that's another really good piece that, you know, I, I just know from from you, from others that I've talked to, it's really interesting because every single person, we've laughed together. I think I told you that yeah. about, you know, some of the past interviews I've done, we, we crack up and we're like, okay, we, this is so good for a podcast because- right it's so joyous and that's what people are looking for but it's it's genuine it's not you know we're not standing up and doing comedy or something but it's right there's just everyday make you smile kinds of things
1: I think it also goes back to what I was talking about earlier is you have the choice to laugh or cry yeah right or moan or whinge or whine you know you get you have the choice of how again some of the things are out of your control but you can still control how you deal with them and I think you know when a challenging situations come up at work, who would you rather work with? Someone who's just moaning and groaning and seeing, you know, only things negative, you know, the eors of the world, or do you want to work with the person who says, okay, this isn't great, but let's figure out how to, how to plow our way through it.
2: Exactly. Um, so
1: I absolutely agree with you on the last. Growth opportunities.
2: Great. Yep. So Jeff, tell me about this program and your smiling. What is Buses and beer, and how, where did that come from? And just tell me everything. I want to hear about this.
7: So you know, the motorcoach industry is so unique. We we're a very social industry. Uh, there are there are two national trade shows a year, and then there are state association meetings, and there are open houses with manufacturers. So prior to the pandemic, I was doing about thirty-seven bus trade shows or events a year. Mm. So, you know, I, I traveled a lot, you know, out in front of people. And when we do these shows, it's not just standing in a booth. They take you on a fam tour, which is the, they take you out to an amusement park or to visit, you know, attractions in these different cities. You know, they want to show off what they have to offer. So, you know, the vendors that are at the shows ride along with the operators and engage with them and visit the things that they're seeing. So the pandemic happens March 13th, that Friday night.
4: Mm-hmm.
7: I, I'll never forget it. I'm out for dinner with a bunch of people from my gym. I get home and I see, you know, the, all the announcements that we're, we're going on lockdown. Boom. Two weeks becomes a month. A month is going on. So in, in mid-April, we hadn't seen anybody. We haven't really spoken to anybody. And I decided, you know, we had these industry Zoom calls where people were, were thinking of, uh, you know, getting shut down. Buses are being repossessed. Banks are calling in notes. It was pretty pretty dark time in mid-April. And I, you know, I, and I got tired of the, uh, the daily zoom calls of the, you know, the dreariness and the darkness. And I, and I said to myself, gee, I'm going to invite a couple of operators and a couple of vendors on a call on a Wednesday night just to see people and talk. So we did that on a Wednesday night. We spoke for about an hour. Had a, everybody had a couple of cocktails while we're sitting there. And, uh, the next week prior to the next Wednesday night, people were emailing me, Hey, I heard you, I heard you had this call. How do I get on the call? Can I get an invite to the call? So the next week, I uh, had about, I don't know, 20 people on the call, call went for about an hour and a half. And everybody was so thrilled to see each other, because we right. hadn't seen each other since you know, February. And it took off from there, people started emailing me, I need to get on the call, I want to get on this call. And I, and I decided that I didn't want any bank people on the call, nor any insurance people on the call. because mm-hmm. That's where the major stress points were in the industry. Mm-hmm. And we decided I decided to call it buses and beer. And it evolved into a Every Wednesday night, and some of the calls went six hours. Oh my gosh! Six hour Zoom call, and people came on the call. They were vendors. They were operators. People had emotional breakdowns on the call because oh. the only people that understood what was going on in their, in their in their life was the people in the industry. No one, right. no one understood that the buses weren't moving. You know, people lost three five million dollars, three to five million dollars overnight from cancellations uh. of trips. Laying drivers off and the banks, you know, these buses, a bus costs five, $600,000, you know, mm-hmm. your payments on a bus is five or $6,000 a month payment. And the banks are now calling, Hey, what are we going to do? How are you going to pay this? You know, do you want to turn your buses back in? And it really crunched the industry mm-hmm. and it became a salvation, the buses and beer of a community. Yeah. People. I had to get really smart with the call. I started making up an agenda. I asked all types of questions to keep people engaged, whether it's, we talked about, you know, the bus industry, we talked about home life, we talked about sex to keep it interesting after nine <laughs> o'clock, talked about men's lingerie, women's lingerie, I mean, it went all over the place.
3: Yeah.
7: And um, I even had to do, you know, we had a Zoom call with two intermissions, because nobody wanted to miss anything.
3: Oh, and then I
7: found out I could ask any question that I wanted to ask, and people would say, yeah, I'll answer that question, Jeff. Whether it was a sex question, a food question, <laughs> or, I mean, everything. I want to join this call. <laughs> twice, twice during the, uh, the first year, I had, an all, I had two all women calls. I had 48 uh-huh. women in the industry on the call two times during the year. Uh-huh. And I heard things on that call that I was astonished that there's a lot more going on under my bus seats than what people were sitting. <laughs> so
1: so, <you> know, so... <laughs> the, industry, the industry took wow. off
7: the vendors chipped in we made buses and beer t-shirts but i i knew in the industry that i really was helping people out when somebody sent me my own bobblehead me <laughs> I, don't really get, I, I can't really turn it around yes. but it says jeff go bobblehead but the sign you says you did
2: make uh, it <laughs> from the
7: buses and beer crew thank you for the great conversations and laughs and tears and, and being
0: there Thank you so much to all of our listeners and all of our amazing guests this year.
2: We have plenty of new guests lined up for 2023, and always welcome your suggestions and feedback. Stay well, stay happy, and keep listening. Happy holidays and happy new year.
0: Happy holidays and happy new year.